I'm Sean. And I'm Ed's. And today we're going to be doing some baseball. What that means is we are a bi-weekly baseball history podcast where uh, one of us takes a turn telling a story from baseball history to the other one who doesn't know what the story is going to be about. So We take turns sharing stories right. with each other. Yes. That's what we do. Yeah. And you can uh, follow us on our social medias at Doing Baseball is our Twitter and on Instagram. Uh, we're kind of, I started doing a new thing in the last few weeks. Uh, you can follow us on Instagram at doing dot baseball, and we're going to be bringing you some daily baseball history facts and, uh, some cool photos of, uh, some stories from every day throughout baseball history. So, yeah, we got a few things to, to, to plug before we get going here. Uh, we mentioned last week, uh, or two weeks ago, uh, Max Munch, Max with two X's.com. He was one of our guests in one of our favorite episodes. Uh, check it out if you want. Max wanna. with two X's, Munch.com. Yes, yes. yes. Uh, also, uh, I put a book out. Uh, check it out. Sean underscore Detori, S E A N D E C O R Y. Check it out if you're into uh, music photography or, or just uh, music in general. It's, uh, it's a fun little thing that I've put out there. And uh, we're also going to mention it in this episode. We didn't mention it in the last one. Sorry, uh, JP and Laura. Uh, JP, who was on our uh, episode about Ed Delahanty, uh, him and his girlfriend Laura have a online uh, workout business uh, where you know you can uh, get in on Zoom and uh, do a home workout right from your own living room uh, for really cheap, and it's uh, perfect for what's going on in the world right now. So check it out uh, at the Warrior Room. Warrior Room. Fantastic if you uh, need to get in a workout at home. Uh, all right, you ready for this, Edzie? Yeah, tell me your story. All right, so... Getting comfy? Yeah, I'm getting comfy. <laughs> With the first overall pick in the 1991 draft, the New York Yankees selected Brian Taylor from East Carteret High School in Beaufort, North Carolina. 1991? 1991. First overall. First overall. If you were a Yankees fan... What was his first name? Brian. Brian Taylor. With an E. B-R-I-E-N. Oh. Interesting. Yeah, I believe it. Is that significant? Not really. Okay. Not, not at all. <laughs> but if you were a Yankees fan, you probably know the story of Brian Taylor very well. And if you're not, you might not. Uh, I don't think I've ever heard of him. A first overall pick? You've never heard of him? No. Let's find out why. Okay. <laughs> All right. Brian Taylor was born the day after Christmas, 1971. His mom named him Brian after the lead character in Brian's Song, a movie starring James Caan and Billy D. Williams about Brian Piccolo, an uh, NFL player who was stricken with terminal cancer shortly after going pro. His dad, Ray, was a bricklayer, and his mom, Betty, picked meat out of blue crabs and got paid by the ounce. Brian's body matured early. He was not fat. He was not skinny. He was a left-handed pitcher, and he was good. He his father claimed he was touching 85 miles an hour at 12 years old. Wow. And I doubt that, but wow. Well, I mean, from a close distance, I don't know. Either way, but uh, 
word started to spread, especially once he got to East Carteret High School in Beaufort. Uh, the Yankees hadn't made the playoffs in nine seasons. If you don't know about the Yankees' 1980s, that's a whole yeah. other episode that we can talk about. They were very good for a while. It's a and then, time. Yeah. Uh, so they hadn't made the playoffs in nine seasons at this point. They, uh, they had lost 95 games in 1990, the most losses for the franchise since 1912. Uh, the 19- it's hard to imagine that. Yeah. I, uh, going back and going through, I'm like, okay, yeah. when was the last time they lost 95 games? I had to go back a long <laughs> ways. Uh, the 1990 season was maybe the ugliest year in Yankees history. Probably definitely in recent Yankees history. 1990 was just atrocious. So first baseman Don Mattingly, who was a big part of the team, had the worst year of his career to date. He dealt with back issues throughout most of the year and missed one-third of the season and put up really like subpar numbers like like 250 with like a 303 Ooh. on base percentage and stuff. And this was a guy that was... Yeah, it's, when your name's Donnie Baseball. Yeah, yeah. Um, a disgruntled Dave Winfield was traded early in May of that year, and he was a big free agent signing years earlier. Yeah. Uh, and you'll find out why he was disgruntled in a second. The team was basically out of it, though. Once they traded Winfield in early May, the team was basically done. The manager, Bucky Dent, was fired two months into the season with the team sporting a 18-31 and 31 record. Steinbrenner had wanted to replace Dent with Billy Martin, but Martin was unable to manage in 1990 due to a car accident. So instead, uh, Dent was replaced with Stump, Stump Merrill, who didn't fare much better than Dent. All of the, the manager stuff, he wanted to replace him in the offseason, but Martin got hurt. Mm-hmm. Um, so It's probably a blessing in disguise. Maybe. Who knows? If we're Dude. looking at history, it's probably a blessing in disguise. <laughs> well, Billy Martin's another episode, too. Yeah. <laughs> uh, to make matters worse, the commissioner's office completed an investigation into George Steinbrenner's attempts to discredit Dave Winfield and his association with admitted gambler Howard Spira. Or Spira. Uh, so I. The, so he's accusing Winfield of being a gambler? No, I think he was trying to uh, undermine Winfield and get out of Winfield's contract by digging up dirt on Winfield and stuff. It was okay. ugly. Yeah. Like that is Sounds a ugly. whole other episode. Uh, so. <laughs> We're alluding to a lot of new episodes. Uh, yeah, yeah, there's a yeah. lot in here. So in the middle of the season, Commissioner Faye Vincent permanently banned. George Steinbrenner from ru- from running the Yankees. Okay. Uh, he was basically suspended for about two years. So mm-hmm. That's what the mm-hmm. end result of, of it was. But at this point, he's just there. Uh, I think it was July 31st. They were just like, no, Steinbrenner, you're out. Uh, so the team was bottoming out. The fans were frustrated. A number of bad decisions and fruitless spending by ownership, Steinbrenner, mm-hmm. put, put the team in a really bad place. They had lost almost 20 draft picks in the 80s for signing free agents, and now those veteran players weren't performing, and the cupboards were merely bare. Were nearly bare. Uh, the team needed to retool, and the first time since 1967, uh, they had the first pick. It was the only the second time in franchise history. Uh, interestingly enough, the Braves were worse in 1990, mm-hmm. but the NL and AL used to like switch who would have the, 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 the first, first and pick. second pick. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. So the Braves were worse. I but, guess, yeah. I mean, yeah. they were essentially completely separate leagues at the time. So, yeah. So. so the Yankees 
like their hitting wasn't terrible at the time too. They, I mean, they had up until you know in the late '80s they had Mattingly and Ricky Henderson and Dave Winfield. Yeah. And they had some like halfway decent years. They just never were able to make the playoffs. But their pitching had been garbage. Mm-hmm. So basically, they want to retool. They don't want to do a full rebuild. And Steinbrenner's out of the way now for two years. Yeah. So they're like, all right, this is our chance. This is our chance to get some. So they took the the franchise in a different direction um but they wanted to retool their pitching staff so everybody was expecting them to go with a pitcher number one overall uh they had a few decent pitching prospects but none of them were like ace potential maybe Mm -hmm. like they were all like mid-rotation guys um so however though bill livesley the yankee scouting director in 1991 and a legend in scouting circles uh the team had their eyes on outfielder mike kelly whom he referred to as the best college player in the country. He told ESPN's Andrew Marchand in 2004, We had a meeting in a hotel in Arizona in January 1991. We brought in all our cross-checkers. Outfielder Mike Kelly was a great, outfield at, great outfielder at Arizona State. We just told our guys, This is the top college player in the country. Your job this year is to find someone better. If you don't, Kelly will be our pick. Okay. So he's they're going they're like, all right, we got this outfielder. So they, yeah, they got he's they got their, their chickens counted essentially. Well, but he's challenging his scouts right. too, right? He's like, get yeah. out there and find someone, find someone better, better than, than this, this guy. guy. Yeah. So the Yankee scouts set out to find the person who could dethrone Kelly from the spot. Just a few weeks later in February, Jeff Taylor, no relation uh, to the okay. subject of this yes. story, yeah. called in and raved about a high school kid he found in North Carolina named Brian Taylor. It's my cousin Brian. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's not my cousin Brian. Anyway. The, the, sure. left, the left-handed pitcher was six foot three and topping out at ninety-eight miles an hour as a seventeen-year-old, or I think Sweet. he was like turning eighteen at this time too, because he was the older. Anyways, yeah. um, so Taylor raved about Brian to Bill Livesley. At this point, the Yankees didn't know. That somebody else had seen Brian Taylor too. Well, probably a lot of scouts had actually seen Brian Taylor too. Yeah. But the Yankees have the first pick. Yeah, yeah, yeah. An agent by the name of Scott Boris had oh, had discovered uh, Taylor. Scott had been scouting Taylor himself for a year now, and knew he was going to be getting a lot of interest. Boris himself said he had watched Mike Kelly play, and Taylor's skills were at a whole new level. Mm-hmm. So well, he's obviously going to say that. Well, obviously, but either way, it's after the fact he said that. So like, it's okay. not like he had it. Right. So a Brewers scout, Ron Rizzi, said he, he saw him throw a perfect game, striking out every single batter, and his final pitch was a 98-mile-an-hour fastball. That's, uh, that would be quite it, impressive. Yeah. It, it sounded like he wasn't in the best high school league either, yeah. but still, in high school to whatever, seven innings and you strike out mm. every single person. And, and then still thrown yeah. with gas at the yeah. end of the game. Yeah. Um, in Taylor's senior season in high school, he struck out 203 hitters in 84 innings. Oh, fuck. Yeah. He gave up only 18 hits and 24 walks. So... He basically, yeah, he basically gave up a hit or a walk every other inning. Mm-hmm. So like that's like a point five whip yeah. with a like ridiculous K's per nine, <laughs> like a twenty K's per nine with I a point five. I can see why whip. he may have dethroned Kelly. Yeah, 
Yeah. Okay, I'm Gene, on board. Gene Michaels. Gene Michael. Uh, sometimes referred to as the stick, but I think I just refer to him as Michael in this. Gene Michael, the Yankees GM, watched Taylor's final two high school games himself. Something that would rarely happen in baseball still to this day. You don't see the actual GM yeah. go and watch a, a guy. Uh, after that, the Yankees were clear. Taylor was their guy. They figured it should be an easy draft and sign. Taylor was not from a privileged background. As we said before, the son of a mason and a crab picker. He grew up in a double-wide trailer in a small in small town North Carolina, and the Yankees didn't think there'd be any signability issues. Scott I, Boris, I bet they were wrong. <laughs> Scott Boris had Enter Scott Boris had some other ideas. Okay, so Scott had uh, established a relationship with the family and was going to represent Taylor in the negotiations. He knew the Yankees would lowball the family because they were poor. In an interview with ESPN in 2014, he described the conversation he had with Brian's mom. I explained how it was going to be perceived. They're going to view you as an indignant family that lives in a trailer and that any amount of money is going to feel like you won the lottery. Our job is to not look at the money. Our job is to look at the value in the marketplace at the time for Brian's skills. She said, are you saying that they're going to try to pay us on the basis of our circumstances rather than Brian's talent? I said, absolutely. Yes. So the Yankees' initial offer was $300,000. Not very much. Not very much now, but first overall pick in 1990, first overall pick in 1990, Chipper Jones Mm -hmm. had gotten only $275,000, also out of high school. Right, okay. Uh, uh, At the time... His, and at the time, his was a record. So 275 was the record. They offered him 300. Right. So it is, yeah, it depends okay. you know, which yeah. side you're okay. I was so, going to say I should have uh, yeah. considered the, the times. I didn't consider the times there for a second, but yeah. Yeah. But Boris countered, uh, and Brian's mom, uh, saying maybe Brian would attend junior college in the fall instead of signing. Mm-hmm. Which uh, is also a good idea. Yeah. Uh, this, of course, is not what the Yankees or Yankees fans wanted to hear. They had offered a record bonus, but Taylor wouldn't sign. Boris knew he had the Yankees in a corner and was going to squeeze every penny he could out of the Yankees. Well, why wouldn't you? Exactly. Uh, Betty Taylor had spat at the initial offer. It was an insult in her eyes. She knew what kind of pedigree Taylor had and that Boris had negotiated high school pitcher Todd Van Poppel an MLB contract worth $1.25 million in the draft the year before when he was picked 14th overall. So that, was a, that wasn't just a bonus. It was like a, it was like a big bonus, but the, it was with the A's. Mm-hmm. But Boris got him like a contract contract yeah. to be like, no, he's going to play in the major, or get major league money at least to, yeah. to play. Uh, Boris decided... Boris decided if the Yankees weren't going to give Taylor a guaranteed MLB contract like he had gotten for Popple, uh, the least he could take was $1.5 million signing bonus. And Betty stood firm. That was her price for Brian to sign. Okay. Stand your ground. Stand, yeah. Very, very... uh, It sounded like she really took control of the negotiations and Uh just followed Boris's advice and knew what... Knew how much they could pay, really. Yeah, yeah. So during the negotiations, the Yankees showed up with a briefcase full of money to Taylor's house. That sounds so Yankees. To- so slimy. <laughs> Offering more and more money. 
But his mom, Betty, stood firm and stuck to the script that Boris had provided her. Mm-hmm. Uh, so they just, like, they, they, you know, that's an old tactic. Just like, oh, look at this. Look at all this money. Yeah. Could be Do yours. You sign now? Yeah, just, I could, we could just leave this briefcase of money here if you just sign this. Like, uh, it's just... Uh, the pressure was on uh, GM Gene Michael. Even Steinbrenner, who was not supposed to be conducting any Yankee business, said publicly that if the Yankees didn't dra- didn't sign Taylor, someone should be shot. Holy shit. So, Steinbrenner for this was also close to receiving for a further scolding from the commissioner's office. Stop uh, tampering. Stop of, tampering by threatening people with death. And, of course, the comments did not help the Yankees' situation whatsoever. No. Boris knew he had the Yankees over the barrel at this point. Right. Taylor enrolled with Lewisburg College, uh, not far away from his hometown. If he attended a class, he would be deemed ineligible to sign. It was mid-August. The draft had been over two months earlier. On the first day of class, the Yankees capitulated and gave Brian Taylor a $1.55 million signing bonus. So they finally caved. Yep. You think they just, like, ran up to the campus and stopped him right on the school steps and opened a briefcase full of money? Well, I mean, it's, <laughs> it sounded, it sounded like he was kind of like waiting by it. He, the rules were kind of like if he didn't attend class. So like, even if school started, maybe if he just didn't go to class, yeah, like, yeah. you know, so there was still room to negotiate even if schools, but it was down to the skipping? wire. Yeah. I've been skipping. Yeah. All right. Okay, carry on. <laughs> so a sigh of I had time to drink. I had time to get a sip. Uh, a sigh of relief was collectively let out by Yankees fans, many, as who, many of whom saw Taylor as their future Doc Gooden. Steinbrenner, of course, didn't praise Michael for signing, but instead scolded him for spending so much money. <laughs> oh, jeez. <laughs> really? Like, after all of the shit that he had spent money on for like, the 80s and put them in this position, he's like, way to give that prospect a lot of money. Never in my wildest dream would I have paid that kid a million and a half, he said. I never said, go spend a million and a half. No fucking way. <laughs> on a high school kid? No way. He's adamant. Boris later said that Steinbrenner's initial comments had probably earned him an extra Mm $750,000. So Boris basically said, like, yeah, we were probably going to do, like, half of what we were demanding, but we knew we had you guys once Steinbrenner was being a jerk. Um, So Baseball America immediately put put Taylor as their number one prospect before he even threw a pitch in professional baseball. Taylor skipped rookie ball, partially because of the long negotiating process after the draft, mm-hmm. uh, uh, and started in high A in the Florida State League the next year. He lived up to his reputation. As a teenager in high A, he posted a 2.57 ERA over 161 in the third innings, striking out 187. That's good. I was going to say, it's surprising that they sent him straight to high A, but yeah. he's performed. Yeah. So. So, and it's also, it's like weird. Like, I think he was drafted, he was like 18 turning 19. So now that, that year he was like 19 turning 20. Like, I don't know yeah. if he had like, there was an extra year. I don't know how high school worked back then. But either way, so he's a little bit older. He wasn't 18 the year he was drafted. He was 19 technically, I yeah. think, the year. Anyway, so uh, it seemed to be only a matter of time until Taylor made his debut. Uh, in February 1993, Baseball America wrote that scouts were saying he'd be ready for the big leagues by the following September. 
the next year he was promoted to double A, where his numbers took a step back, but were still solid. He put up a 3.48 ERA, striking out 150 over 160 innings plus. Still uh, respectable. Yeah. He, is, uh, he, he walked 40 more batters, though, so that's not good. So he's mm-hmm. losing a little bit of control yeah. in an identical amount of innings. Uh, so it was not as impressive as the Yankees had hoped. Uh, but Taylor still did a pretty good job in Double A for a 20-year-old or 21-year-old at this point. Mm-hmm. Uh, but Taylor did not get the call-up in September of that year. Taylor would never get the call-up, unfortunately. Why? The story is de- <laughs> the story is different depending on who tells it. Okay. The facts of the story we know for sure is his brother got into an altercation. Taylor came to assist him and ended up destroying his left shoulder and essentially ending his career. Oh no. In most accounts, Taylor swung and missed on a punch, tearing his shoulder as well as dislocating it. If you ask Boris, he would—if you ask Boris, must have been a punch. Well, yeah, just well, you can imagine hyperextending your arm, especially if you're a big guy too. Like, I can't imagine throwing a punch so hard I dislocate my shoulder. Well, if you ask Boris, he would say that Taylor's arm was pushed all the way back while blocking a blow from somebody else. Okay, which might make Boris like you're like blocking it and it gets pushed back that seemed i according to a yahoo article by jeff passan in 2006 he was sticking up for his older brother brendan who had been beaten up by local heavy named ron wilson fucking ron wilson (laughs) coach of the sharks of course (laughs) and the leaves (laughs) and the leaves uh when taylor went went to wilson's trailer he tussled with jim morris wilson's friend and when falling to the ground, dislocated his left shoulder and tore his labrum. So there's like many <laughs> slight alterations yeah. to, to what happened. Regardless of what happened, it was not good news. Within a week, Taylor was taken to Dr. Frank Job, who called it one of the worst rotator cuff Frank injuries. Job? Job. J or Job. J-O-B-E. Okay. Yeah. Not like the biblical Job. Not, not the biblical Job. Because that would suck. Yeah. <laughs> so, be symbolic. Yeah. So it was one of the worst shoulder rotator cuff injuries he ever seen. Oh, he man. had surgery that month and missed all of the 1994 season rehabbing the injury. It didn't miss much. Yeah. Well, that, that was the good thing, right? Yeah. Taylor told the New York Times while rehabbing, if I'd been doing things that were stupid and didn't make any sense, I would have felt a lot worse about it. I feel what happened with me is a family thing, and I was there for my family. But I don't feel bad about it for one day because the reason it happened, because the reason it happened is not because I was being stupid out there. Which is like, yeah, like, debatable. You put yourself in a bad situation, yeah. but yeah, it's noble of you to stand up for your family. It's not like you were like riding a dirt bike, yeah. Madison Bumgarner, yeah. <laughs> or something, <laughs> or something like that. Um, he returned in 1990. It's not like he sneezed like Kevin <laughs> Pillar. <laughs> no. <laughs> so he returned in 1995, uh, but was a shell of himself. Now he was throwing around 90 miles an hour, and seemed to have lost all control. He never made it past a ball again. Over the next four seasons, 108 and a third innings pitched. He had an ERA of 11.51. Oh, ouch! Yeah, uh, and Yikes. averaged and averaged two walks per inning. Oh, damn. Yeah, so he just couldn't... He just really lost it. Yeah. Uh, I mean, he tore his labrum, so... 
Yeah. And I guess other guys have come back from that. No, I, well, I mean, but it just sounded so, severe. like, the entire yeah. joint was just... You said shred. the doctor said, Dr. Job said it was the worst thing he'd ever seen. Well, so. and that's the thing. And so, one one of the quotes I didn't include, but I'm just out of memory, is, is Scott Boris was like, well, like, that's how good he was, was that he completely destroyed his shoulder and he could still throw 90. Mm-hmm. Like he it basically like that's, it sounded like it w- nobody should have been able to even come back and pitch from this, and and he he did obviously, and, mm-hmm. uh, but it just didn't work out. So he's the Yankees held on. Obviously, the Yankees were good too. It's not like but he was supposed to be with that group of the the Jeter and the Bernie Williams and the Pettit and, the Pettit and, and yeah. stuff like that. It was supposed to be like him and Pettit were the two guys yeah. going forward. So if you talk to a Yankees fan in 1993. You know, it was, oh mm-hmm. my God, I can't wait for these guys. Yeah. We're going to be the best fucking team in the world. Yeah. And, and they ultimately ended up being that. Yeah. But, and, and there but was this a, poor guy missed out on it because he got in a fight. That yeah. That sucks. Yeah. And as I say, whether it was, a, like, whether he got a call that his brother was in trouble or whether he went looking for the guy that had beat up his brother, like, mm-hmm. there's, there's so many, like, you know, it's a very fluid story depending on on who you talk to but regardless he his brother got into something he stood up for his brother and there goes his left arm yeah so in his his career his baseball career essentially yeah so he was with the yankees four more seasons obviously they had to stick out with it like after all the drama of signing him and and yeah drafting him and all that so after all that, there was a yeah. They stuck out with him for the la- next four years and released him after the 1998 season. Uh, he bounced around on a few minor league deals with Chicago, or sorry, with Seattle and Cleveland, but his arm was just not the same. Mm-hmm. He moved back to his parents' house that he had bought with his bonus money that sits at 147 Brian Taylor Lane. They named the street after. They him. named the street after That's him. That's nice. Oh yeah, I know. He worked at. Uh, for a beer distributor, as a UPS delivery man, and eventually as a bricklayer with his father. On March 1st, 2012, Taylor was arrested and charged with trafficking cocaine. Oh. Yeah. This took a turn. Yeah. Taylor was sentenced to 38 months in prison after pleading guilty to distributing crack cocaine and powdered cocaine. Uh, Moorhead City Police said they had undercover detectives buy around 300 grams of crack cocaine and powdered cocaine from Taylor over a few months. So they stung him. Yeah, they stung him. They stung him good. Uh, (laughs) Stung him good. They stung him good. (laughs) On top of uh, the prison time, Taylor uh, would have three years of supervised release once his prison sentence concluded. Uh, he was released from federal prison in 2015 and hasn't really spoken to the media for at all since. And most, it sounded like he was a very, Derek Jeter talked about him being like a really shy guy too. And like, not like a very, that's, that's why the story sounds like a little bit out of character, like, like not even out of character. Like maybe he's a big, you know, Mm. you're close with your family. You got to stick up for your brother and stuff like that. But it didn't sound like he was the type of guy that would go looking for trouble you know what yeah. i mean so yeah he was a very he uh, just got in that fight and that just something just turned in him you know? maybe well either way he he you know obviously he sold drugs got caught ended up Went going to jail, to jail for, for three months yeah 38 months and uh 
he hasn't really spoke, but yeah, his mom, any, any media and stuff, you, you've, you see his mom spoken to more than, more than him at all. Oh yeah. Yeah. So it was just, uh, obviously. So, so he hasn't spoken to the media since he got out of jail. Um, Yankees GM, Brian Cashman told ESPN in 2014, Bill Livesley, Bill Livesley is one of the greatest scouts of our era. He told me the best amateur position player he ever saw was Alex Rodriguez. And the best amateur pitcher he ever saw was Brian Taylor. Hmm. That's, yeah. Those are strong words. It's good company to keep. I mean, I Alex Rodriguez is a dick, but like he's, <laughs> you know, yeah, no, he's really good. He was really he good was at really baseball. Good. Yeah, and that's and that's the thing. So it's like, half the reason I hate him. Yeah, and so. that's and that's a compliment both by Brian Cashman to it's saying like Brian Cashman's a baseball god of our yeah era. yeah, and he's saying the guy he considered a god said this, this about, guy this guy was Brian it. Taylor. It just sounded like he was just like people were comparing him to as you say Doc Gooden, but like Randy Johnson too. Mm-hmm. Like those were the types of comparisons that he had early mm-hmm. on in his career. Yeah. And so he did like he was just throwing missiles at a young age. So, yeah. You know. Yeah. And like he was raw too. They talk about his change up and his curveball were like okay, but his fastball was just so good and had so much late movement on it. Boris was just like, yeah, like I just see it go from one side of the plate to the other, mm-hmm. like halfway to the mound. It's just halfway to the plate. It was just, it just had that much zip on it. Yeah. Where he just had late movement like you'd never be able to understand uh it sounded great and then it just then all fell apart all of a sudden it just goes like that but i mean it's also like a big moment for for the draft and stuff like that getting that kind of a signing bonus and and yeah. and the the player or at least not even the player at the time like the, the holding out being like yeah if you want me on your team i'll go to college like yeah and yeah that's i guess that's kind of an advantage that you have as a player that's as good as he was to get drafted out of high school so yeah so that was the that was the story, the story of brian, brian taylor, taylor. Hmm. i had never heard that story before that's uh that's yeah you kind of prep you didn't tell me what the story was but you kind of prefaced that it was kind of a bummer and that that is a bummer i wonder uh as as much as uh like i don't root for the yankees now but when I was a kid, I, I I rooted for the Yankees a little bit in those first couple World Series years. Because, you know, like we talked about earlier in the episode, they had that shit stretched throughout the whole 80s. I didn't know the Yankees as a good team yeah. growing up. And, Not until you know, 95, 96. Yeah, yeah. In 95, 96. They were a likable team, you know, so... <laughs> Uh, yeah, I didn't. I didn't know that. I didn't know that there was sort of a missing character from that cast. That's too bad. Yeah, no, it would be. I don't know the the equivalent of like Nate Pearson just just all of a sudden just don't no don't, <laughs> don't. <laughs> I love. I just love that. <laughs> just that thought crossing your mind and just like no, yeah, fuck you, man. Yeah. <laughs> But, like, I mean, even Nate Pearson wasn't, like, first overall. Like, there's been other, like, Mark Appel and stuff like that. There's been there's been 
one one misses you know like yeah. first overall pick like misses. strasburg it was like if strasburg didn't yeah yeah out, yeah if strasburg didn't turn out or if you know or if bryce harper had, had broken his leg and never been able to play properly again mm-hmm. like it, mm-hmm. i could see bryce harper getting in a fight <laughs> like not not uh, being yeah. able to play again <laughs> oh bryce bryce would just crush someone with his wallet <laughs> <laughs> throw a helmet <laughs> Oh, all right. That'd be Bryce. He probably has been in some good tussles in his yeah, day. Yeah. yeah. Feisty I wouldn't guy. want to fight him. No, no. Uh, get that I'm like five foot seven, though. So yeah, like, well. I'm no taller than Harvey Haddix. So. <laughs> <laughs> all right, man. Well, uh, tune in uh, in a couple weeks. We'll bring you another story. Yeah, follow us on Twitter at Doing Baseball. Check us out on Instagram for daily baseball history facts uh, at Doing.Baseball. And I'm Sean. And I'm Eds. We were doing some baseball. Okay, bye. Bye.